What is going on, everybody? I am Mike. Welcome back to Network Podcast. Really glad that you're here. It is Wednesday, June 23rd, and I am joined by my co-host, Holden DePardo. Holden, how are we doing today? Doing well. I'm excited to talk about all this iPadOS 15 stuff because I've been using that. You haven't got to talk about WWDC yet. That's going to be really exciting. So yeah, this is going to be good. This is going to be a good episode. It is going to be a great episode, Holden. Thanks very much for joining me. Wednesday, June 23rd. So it's just now, it's today, it's been two weeks since WWDC. We're still on, you know, the first beta. It's been it's been a little bit perilous, depending on who you ask. But overall, it's been a solid build. There are a lot of features that are in iPadOS, iOS, Holden, that I'd love to talk to you about and love to get your feedback on, see what you think of them. You want to dive in? Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious actually what devices you're running it on, because I think you did everything, didn't you? <laughs> I am the type of person who, so I probably go a little bit too hard, overcommit just a little bit, but I am <laughs> running it on my primary iPhone. Actually, I only have one iPhone at this moment. Running it on my iPhone, running it on two iPads at the moment, and my Apple Watch. Overall, Holden, I'll be honest with you, I'm fairly impressed with how stable it is. Again, I haven't had too many issues, but I've been reading you know, horror stories of people that put it on their devices and they just have nothing but trouble. <laughs> but it's a beta, right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen to everybody every... Yeah, it just happens. But all of the features, I think for the most part, at least in my experience, have been working as expected. There's a few kind of random like re-springs, you know, where the, you know, you, you end up, the app crashes and it goes back to the home screen or you see the, the reloading screen. But really, I think the features that have been most stable. Now, I'd like to tell you just about like what my favorite features are and we'll just maybe talk through that. Yeah. And maybe at some point, you know, the week before the show, we did our kind of expectations and our predictions for WWC. And I will say that we did quite well. I was looking at the the predictions, watching the keynote. I'm like, oh my gosh, we got that one right. We got that one right. We got that one right. It was like, we did really good. I was very, very, uh, very impressed. So as what they say, like reading the tea leaves. So we we did very good with that aspect. So I think I first want to start with FaceTime and how I feel about FaceTime, if that's okay. I'm not sure how much you've had a chance to use it since upgrading I use it on my iPad once, I think. Okay. Twice. I use it twice. So I'm at the maybe advantage or disadvantage, depending how you think about it, where I have to use FaceTime all the time to communicate with family that's not where I live mm-hmm. here in South Florida. And so I'm, I'd am say I'm pretty familiar with it. So it does work really well. I think what is interesting is the way that like the UI notifications and or the UI and the layout is really all rounded rectangles now, where before it was a little bit more square, especially on the iPhone, when you look at it, it makes me feel like they're introducing something that we don't know at this point where it has a different aspect ratio. And you, once you get it and you see that the way that FaceTime is laid out on it, you're like, oh, wow, that makes sense. And it makes me think of that HomePod with a screen on it. Like, that's where I'm like, oh, wow, that looks really interesting. Like, this would almost fit onto that type of aspect ratio. So that's just one of the one thing I noticed. To support that, by the way. To support that, yeah. You mentioned that. Now that you say it, I have an iPad Air 3. So I have the screen with hard edges. Not like the iPad Pro where it's rounded. It is rounded in the software, the corners of of the FaceTime app. Yes. But it doesn't fit the hard edges of the screen. So yeah, that's that's, good to point out. So I think that's really interesting. I I like the UI. So the part where I just haven't got it to work was where you're doing FaceTiming with people who are not on an iPhone or an iPad. So like the part where like you try and FaceTime with someone who is on Windows or on Android, I haven't got that to work. I've tried it a few different times and it has not worked for me. I don't know if you've had any luck with that. Uh, I haven't. Okay. Yeah, I haven't tried that one out. Yeah. 
I didn't know if you were responding, so I want to give you a chance. Um, so haven't had any luck with that. I do like the way that the wait. I'm sorry, I zoned out for a second. Were you talking about the sharing, like watch together thing, and sharing screens? No, I oh. no no. The sharing of the link for FaceTime with someone who doesn't have a, an iOS mm-hmm. device. So like if you have Windows yeah. or if you have Android, I haven't had a chance to have that to work yet. I apologize. I have tested it out. I also didn't get it to work either. Okay, so it's it's probably not a. It's not working from a uh, like a design perspective. It's just not working from a functional perspective. Maybe they just don't have the server set up or whatever the case is. Yeah. iCloud-based stuff like that usually doesn't get into the betas. They usually do that. Anything cloud-based like that is usually handled like right at launch. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't That's know that. That's really something I've noticed, at least with the past betas I've done. Okay. I really dig <laughs> – dig? I'm just dating myself. I really like the – <laughs> the widgets on the home screen and the reorganization of the home screen, the way that it can be organized. That to me is really great. I don't like the fact that they took away, I think is maybe one app when you're in either the portrait or landscape mode. I had to think about that. I don't know if you've noticed that or uh, well, it's not. narrow in portrait mode and it really does bug me. It's, it looks weird. And I think that goes back to my first comment where it wouldn't make sense unless there's something else kind of driving it. And maybe we'll see that sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. I think just just change the spacing, just make it a little bit farther apart from each other, and it would look way better. I think it's what you would see, uh, or sorry, it's what you would describe in an Airbnb listing as cozy, right? Like it's pretty cozy. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the PR version. We want, we wanted to go for. It's not a bug; it's a feature. It's very cozy. <laughs> yeah, it's very cozy. It, it gives you a cozy feeling on the home screen. That might be a show title. Co- it's a cozy feeling on the home screen. But I do like it. I like the way that the the app layout is. I really like the app drawer or the app library, and the animation on yes. the app library is just like it's chef kiss. That's what it, it gets. Chef kiss. It's it's that great. <laughs> it's so smooth. <laughs> it's so it's it's especially smooth for a beta because one thing about betas is the animations usually are refined over the beta from what I've noticed. Like especially yeah. with seven, like all this stuff got refined over time. But that is like, yeah, I agree. Chef's kiss. It's beautiful. I just went back and forth and just kept doing it over and over again. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, look at this. It's in. It's out. It's in. It's out. It's great. So I'm a big fan of that. I love the new multitasking and I, I, it will be, uh, you know, Frank, I've probably only got about, I would say like an hour of multitasking usage in because I've been doing other things, but it's I, at least in premise at this point, I like it a lot. I don't know how much chance you've had to use the multitasking. It's my favorite part of iPad OS 15, hands down. I'm in love with how it Hands works. down, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really like it. What I guess from coming from someone who who uses an iPad as a uh, like an adjunct device, what what do you like about it the most? So there's two things that I that I like about it. One is the shelf. The shelf is yes. incredible. Like I cannot wait for that to come to third party apps. Like take Twitter yes. for example. So what I could hypothetically do with Twitter because it doesn't work yet because it's a third party app, but is let's say I'm looking at some sort of tweet thread for something I'm researching and it's like a long thread, Mm -hmm. but then I get a notification and I want to view that notification, but I don't want to lose my place on that thread and I want to keep it. Sometimes that can be tough if you just have one instance of the app, but you make a separate like instance of it. So you have two different windows you can jump back and forth between. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the productivity tool that's going to be so huge for me. I, that I'm, totally totally pumped about that the second one i like a lot is just how it handles 
bringing in multitasking. And this is kind of what we had talked about um, in our kind of predictions is I just want to access the app library when I go to pull in an app into multitasking. I don't want to have mm-hmm. to go back to the home screen, load up that app, then go to the dock. Hopefully it's in the bottom like recent section, then bring it in. Yeah. It, there's no finagling. It just everything feels so refined about it. Even when you're on the kind of full on view where you can see all the open apps, the multitasking view, you can drag windows across to each other. And it's just it's flawless in how it works. It's great. Yeah. And I don't know if this is new or not. But I don't remember slide over apps being a part of that multitasking view, but now it actually breaks them up separately as slide overs. Yes. So I mentioned that as well, where I one day I swiped up to see like the open apps. I'm like, oh, wow, slide overs there. I think that is new. I don't remember seeing that before either. And that that is very much a welcomed, welcomed edition where you can see that. Now, how often are you going into the app library for an app? I don't know, I guess, what your kind of like search regimen or what what your process is for finding something. Do you go into the app library? Do you swipe down and type in? What do you do? I usually use Spotlight. I find it's faster. Primarily, what I'm using my iPad for nowadays is I'm working on something on my Mac or on my Surface. Like, right, here's a good example. For school, I'll be doing, I'll have like Visual Studio and then I'll have uh, Canvas opened. So I can get notes, I get like my lesson from Canvas and then code in Visual Studio but then I want to have Notion, my note-taking app, open on my iPad. So just kind of keep that to my side, and then I'll just kind of type away. So I always have my keyboard there to work with. So I kind of, if I want to mm-hmm. access something, command spacebar, search it up, and then pull it up as way faster for me. So I just kind of really put widgets on my home screens, and I don't really go to the app library unless I'm doing multitasking and want to pull something up that way. So it just, but it, it's it works well for my workflow, very well. Cool. So I mostly use it like how you do. I think the one thing where I still struggle with the app library is the organization of it. Like it's, I'm looking at it right now. It's like recently added utilities, social. So it's, it's, at least it seems like it's derived from the categories that people, that developers identify that their app is from. And then in my, like, I don't think of apps in that kind of narrow view. Like I think about like, productivity or no, I guess not productivity is right. I could work. Like I, I, I want to bucket them in a, in a different way and maybe change the names of them, but I can't do that. I wish that's something that they would allow it to do. Yeah, I agree. It would be nice if it worked. So this is what I used to do with like in iTunes, how you can do like command I get the information about a song and you could be like, actually this song is in this album instead and retype the album and then it'll just make a new album and then you can store things that way if you wanted to. It'd be nice if you can like look at the metadata for an app and say, I know Apple has put this in the productivity section. I'll give an example. Like Reddit is in reading and information. And I'm like, I kind of view that yeah. more as social network, even though it, it is yes. reference-based, I guess. So like, I'd like to just recategorize it there. But on top of that, what I think might work well is if on the home screen, you can now keep multiple apps, multiple of the same app on the home screen. So if you wanted to have, you know. Really? Yes. Yeah, so I, I haven't tested myself, but I've been told this. So, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. If you you can have like multiple instances of the same app on the home screen, it'd be nice if you could say, okay, I know Apple's sorting Reddit by reading and information or reference and information, whatever it's called. But I also want it to be in the social networking tab. If it just kind of keeps it in both, why not? It's an alias. I don't think that'd be hard Mm, to to figure. I think that would work pretty well. Yeah, I agree with you. And like, I I look at the same exact way that how you described it. Sometimes where I might find something and it's in the category of like productivity, I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? That's probably social. And if I want to be a little bit more broad and if I want to do screen time and and not allow certain types of apps, right, that doesn't work. So that's just my preference. 
but I didn't know that you could uh, have more than one instance of the app on a home screen. I'm going to try it right now because I have my iPad right in front of me. And I really, really like the big widgets. Yes. Like them a lot. They're really nice looking. I use the Game Center one and I use the Apple TV one. Yes. So, <laughs> so I was, we'll talk about this more in just a second. I was at uh, like customizing the, the focus time or focuses. And for one of the focuses, I have gaming where like if I, you know, connect my backbone controller to my iPhone, it goes into gaming mode so I can play games. I'm like, well, I'm thinking about this like, oh, well, I probably want to see my friends on Game Center. I'm like, I'm going to add Holden. I'm like, no, 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 He's, he, he wouldn't do it. I'm just playing around. Um, but I think that, that though, like now playing the, you know, who's playing what game, that's really cool. That's a lot of fun. The launcher is good too. There's one that just kind of shows you some apps or some games you've been using recently and you can jump into them. Yes. And they have nice little backgrounds that are based on the app icon. And they, they look fantastic. They look really good. They do look fantastic. And I actually downloaded the Animal Crossing version for, or New Horizons Pocket version Camp. for iPad. Yeah, Pocket Camp. I haven't had the chance to play it yet, but I, I did download it. I'm like, oh, this should be good. I wish I haven't played with the focuses a lot yet. And I would like to. The focuses are top notch. That is probably my second favorite feature because... Let me explain in case anyone's listening who's not familiar with them. So there are these predefined focus modes and it's, it builds upon the do not disturb mode, like do not disturb while driving or do not disturb while sleeping that were out in, I think, iOS 11 and iOS 13. And you can add customized focus modes or you can add, you know, your own focus modes for whenever you're doing something. So you could say if when I'm driving, maybe I, I want do not disturb turned on. If I'm working out or if I start a workout on my Apple watch, Turn on do not disturb on my phone, but only allow certain people to come in from maybe I say a messaging perspective. Same thing with gaming, how I described. But also you can customize to the fact where let's say you enter your personal mode. I'm sorry, your personal focus. You can only see certain home screens and maybe you only want to see certain apps. Like you don't see your work apps while you're on personal or vice versa. Or when you get to a location, your your focus mode changes. And that is very, very cool. And what is great is that the focus mode syncs across devices. So if you set it up on your iPhone or your iPad, it goes all the way across your devices. So the one of the problems I described to you that I had was if I enter theater mode and do not disturb on my Apple Watch, it doesn't always go to my iPhone or my or it doesn't go to my iPad or anything else. Well, now that all syncs and which is great. And is I'm a happy huge. camper for that one. Yep. Now, and the, the reason I haven't used focus specifically is I only have this on my iPad and I generally only use my iPad for such a specific set of tasks that it's kind of like always in focus mode. Like I even okay. go as far as just turning off all notifications on my iPad. Cause I'm like, I'll get it on my watch. I'll get it on my phone. I don't need notifications on my iPad. So like there's not really a need for me to have that on my, just my iPad, but on the iPhone, that sounds incredible. My dad is doing the same thing. He had a, a different folk, a different home screen for each kind of, you know, task he can do. Here's my question for you. Can you, it sounds like it's contextually based as well. Is it time-based? Could you say between mm -hmm. these hours, have this focus on? Yep. So you, what you can do is here, I'm just looking at it right now. So you can, let's just say you change a focus mode, you know, from either like no focus mode into a focus mode. You could say, I want it for one hour. I want it for until, until tomorrow morning. I want it until I leave this vacation. The gaming one is the same thing. If there's an event on your calendar, like I had a flight last week and that, then my focus mode for do not disturb was turn on, do not disturb until the end of this event. And Siri actually found the event on my calendar. So that was actually kind of, um, I know that was something that was done in maybe proactive iOS 10. 
but now it's more integrated with these focus modes, which is actually very cool. You could customize it as well. Okay, yeah. So I, what I would like to do is say, hey, between the hours of eight in the morning and you know five o'clock at night, I am in work mode and I want to only see work-related stuff and I don't want to see my games. I don't want to see Twitter. I don't want to see these things because they'll distract me. If I could just say every day between eight and five. Not like in screen timing, it's a downtime. I'd like to be able to do that. That would be ideal for me. I haven't set up the work one yet because I don't actually don't have my work email on my personal device. I have a device from work. So you can do smart activation. Uh, you could have it do set time, set location, or while using a specific app or smart activation where it kind of just, you know, if you, whenever you connect this to your, sorry, this is the backbone controller or whatever, maybe you connect to a certain accessory or a certain Bluetooth accessory, same thing. So yes, you could. So the focus modes are, to me, a real big step forward in being able to, I think, customize, uh, well, I mean, absolutely customize your device and your experience. And it seems like maybe Apple might be heading in the direction where, you know, you have a set of apps and a set of functionality that you do for one thing, which is specifically work. And then when you leave work or when you're not in your work context, you don't see any of that and you're not, you're not bothered by that or you're, you're not uh, losing focus on that. So, which is really cool from a productivity standpoint. I like, like that a lot. like work-life balance as well. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that was big this year was shortcuts and you know, the work that was done with shortcuts and then I'll bring it to the Mac as well. I haven't had an opportunity to play with shortcuts on my iPad as much as I'd like to, nor have I installed this on my Mac. I just think that's reckless at this point. <laughs> have you played with short? I know you do use shortcuts a lot, but have you had a chance to play with the new shortcuts? No, I haven't. I, okay. At this point, I played with my shortcuts to kind of get some things that I wanted, and I haven't really mm-hmm. touched it since. The last time I touched it was when you told me about the whole battery thing, and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I want to I wanna do that. I love that feature. But I also, I kind of want to wait till I get the Mac version and play around with that one, because that's going to be so powerful compared to what you can do in iOS. I am very excited for that. You know, we've talked personally, or personally, but we've talked off the air in terms of like things like Keyboard Maestro and Alfred. And it seems like a lot of that functionality is being uh, scooped in, but being pulled in to the new Shortcuts app in terms of what you can do with, say, if you do something at eight o'clock every, you know, once a week or every day, that those things will automatically run where they maybe were not possible using the standard automation tools within um, Automator on Mac. So, but that's really, that's really great. What was the other thing here? The Find My, there's now more granular and more broad Find My where like you can pin someone to your home screen. So not only can you have all these different widgets, but you could get like streaming updates for someone's location or an item all the time. And if you have, uh, like I have my device, my iPad here set up, if I leave my house, I get a, a notification saying, oh, you left your iPad at your house. Do you want to get notified of this? Like that's actually kind of cool too as well. Yeah. So if you were to, if you were to go somewhere and leave your computer somewhere where you normally don't, you'll get notified that it left it behind. So it's for parents who have parental controls turned on on their kids' phones and want to kind of keep track of them. That's a better way mm. of handling that for sure. Yeah, that absolutely is. Yeah, I really like the new focus modes a lot. Let's maybe talk about the integration with you know FaceTime messages and SharePlay. So it, on stage, Apple demonstrated this what would be like right for the pandemic feature where you can consume content or, uh, you know, when I say content, kind of broadly speaking, television, movies, songs with your friends via FaceTime. And FaceTime is the technology that allows people to 
share it together all at the same time, which is really kind of a cool idea, but it seems a little like a little bit late. I don't know. Maybe it's just me thinking about it. What were your th- what were your thoughts on share play? I guess do you have anything more broadly? I agree that it's a little late in terms of like pandemic response and that kind of stuff. So is unlock with your mask on on Apple Watch. Um, but you know, yes. software takes time. Got to make sure it works right. But I do think it's still necessary because watch parties are still a thing, and being able to watch like HBO or Disney Plus with some friends and have it sync up. I can't remember which ones do it, which ones don't. But the point is, is that not all of them do. And mm-hmm. I think it makes more sense for something like that to be on the platform level rather than on the service level. Yes. So I think it just makes more sense for Apple to do that than it does for the other companies. So for that reason, I'm I'm excited. Listening to music while talking is less, I think, important to me. But sharing a screen and saying like, hey, like, look at this note or look at what's on my screen right now. Like, that's super useful. I really like that. And then like the whole watch party thing. I'm excited for that because... When I was visiting my family in Texas, my brother and uh, my dad and I started watching Mr. Robot, but we never got to finish the show. And we're like, well, let's wait until SharePlay comes out so you can kind of watch it all together. Like, that will be a lot of fun. So it's going to be nice, especially with some of the Apple TV shows that are coming out, like Invasion, which looks really good. And I'm curious for that one. Like, that's the kind of stuff my dad and I eat up. Like, I'm totally going to watch that with him. And it's, it's cool that I can do that now. It is cool, and it works not just on your iPhone, but I, I think it works on an Apple TV as well. So, yeah. like, if you can do this. So, we had talked about, it's got to be at least six six or eight weeks ago, we had talked about there were these hints of FaceTime coming to the Apple TV, and, like, why did Apple include this in the frameworks? Yeah, and now, kind of that. in hindsight, in hindsight, we... we we start to, you know, put the dots together of yeah. why they, this is being brought in. Now, you know, who knows what, whether they'll actually make like a dedicated Apple TV, like a, you know, a television box. But the Apple TV as a platform, if that's the case, now I guess I guess it makes sense. That's what I was just trying to. No, I, a long-winded I didn't answer put it to. together, but you're right. That is a hundred percent the reason why they did that. Yeah, Ab- absolutely. Why? Yeah, yeah. So, so that is very cool. I don't know if I'm ever going to you know, get off this, but FaceTime as a communication tool would really work well in a gaming service if you wanted to game with people. So we talk about watch party and being able to watch what I do. It'd be really cool in, you know, iOS 15, iPadOS 15, if you had gaming with friends and you could all play games and there was this thread, which is going to be FaceTime that ties it all together. Cause we, you know, if you look at these, you know, if you look at PlayStation, Xbox, they all have a communication layer, which is like, you know, Discord, you know, that's probably the more popular one, I think, or Xbox chat, what do they call it? Xbox party chat or something like that? It's party chat on PlayStation. I don't know what it's called on Xbox. Yeah. Okay. But Apple, if they really want to get into gaming, they're missing this. And it looks like they're kind to at least the very beginning of pulling that thread through of all these different services. So the fall will be very interesting. I'm, I'm sure of that. I am sure of that. Really looking forward to what they do with gaming, but you've heard me say that a hundred (laughs) times. Yeah. I'd be curious if they get involved. I kind of go back and forth if it's going to happen or not. It would make sense for them too, but then I was like, well, then it also wouldn't make sense for them too. And I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I think that they would do something unique if, and it would work well. I I agree with you. And I think their driving force in, I think wanting to get into gaming or in any of the areas that you, you see them in today is how do they differentiate the experience with the technology that they bring to the table 
and technology kind of broadly of just hardware and software. And that's why I think that they would they would that gaming is something they would look at because for the most part, while some companies do hardware well, I don't know if they do hardware great. You know what I mean? Like that's the part where I, I think I kind of struggle with. I I do think the PS5 is a great hardware platform, but I think that maybe because that's not Apple's core competency, gaming's not like something that they're they're into or they're not into traditionally, that they would look at it differently than I think Sony or Microsoft would. But that's just me thinking. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to expect there. It's a huge enigma. I can see them doing the thing where their specs aren't as good, but because it's all integrated, they can somehow get like way more yes. performance out of it and they can make their box much smaller. So like, I can see them kind of playing that game that they play with with Max and that kind of stuff. Integrating metal and all that would be huge too. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw this, but they're also, it's not to do with gaming specifically, but now they're supporting 1440p monitors on Mac OS. So, which obviously, you know, a lot of people who do gaming, they have monitors that are not just, you know, 1080p, they have 1440p monitors at high refresh rates. So the adoption of the, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it, but it is a, it is a step in the right direction, so to speak. I didn't know they didn't, they didn't support 1440p monitors. That's interesting. No. I mean, I, I'm assuming you could use one, but it would just present in 1080p. Yes. Or would it uh, go to 4K, but not show the full resolution? It scales. It scales. Okay. So I think today... They're going to do it natively without scaling. That's my understanding. Okay. Did you have a chance to to watch or to go to any of the, the WWDC sessions? WWDC sessions? You know, I usually don't because I'm not in that mindset usually when I watch WWDC. But now that all this stuff's free available online, I probably should be watching them. But I always, it completely skips over me or I skip over them just for whatever reason. So do you have anything else that you want to talk about in terms of the iPad, things that you're excited about, maybe things that you've noticed over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, I did want to go to the, what are they calling it? The Swift Playgrounds, like you can make an app on your iPad. Um, because we were kind of talking about like Xcode. Xcode's going to come to to iPad. And it, instead, I kind of feel like we got the GarageBand iMovie equivalent to Xcode, but on iPad, which mm-hmm. kind of looking back, I'm like, well, you know what? That's, that's actually not hugely surprising. It's not hugely surprising. Yeah, it kind of it kind of makes sense, and it kind of plays on the whole like baby steps to get to these these pro apps coming to iPad. But I think that is a really important step. Have they in those additional sessions? Have they talked at all about the limitations of that versus Xcode? Because I'm I'm assuming there are some things that you can't do on the iPad that you can only do in Xcode. I'd imagine that there are some things some restrictions, but I'm curious if, if you've heard anything because I haven't heard anything about that and I'm curious to know them. I have not dived into the sessions on that very deeply. Actually, not even at all, <laughs> if I'd be blunt. But what my understanding is that it's not that it's not full support, but I think that there's some limitations where if you're doing it now, you wouldn't be able to create like larger projects. So maybe you would create an asset or a set of assets or an app to run inside of other apps. You know what I mean? Like it's more mm-hmm. like the complexity of the project. That's probably how I would think of it. There was a good article on The Verge, which I could send to you uh, and you could read it. But that's how the developers framed the uh, Swift Playgrounds coming to the iPad. So it's not all the iPads that it comes to. I, I believe, or sorry, I actually don't know if it's coming to all the iPads or not. I guess it would be. Yeah, I guess it would be. For some reason, I thought it was only coming to the iPad Pro, but that's probably not right. I'd imagine anything that, that supports iOS 15 will support that app. Yeah. It's a big deal that it exists regardless. I think it's it's a, an important step in it is an important for step. iPad. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, you brought up a good point. So when we discussed where we thought the iPad would go and you know what we 
we get we were not, maybe not double down, but we were pretty strong. We had strong opinions about where pro apps meant and what it meant to Apple. And many, many people, I think the majority of people who I talked to after they watched WWDC and they they saw a lack of response from Apple for pro apps on the iPad, they felt like they got ghosted. Like, what did Apple do here? Why are they doing this to us? Where are all these apps that we thought we were going to get? And why is there not this functionality that you that they're expecting? I don't know if the right way of thinking about it, and this is, I think I had this problem as well. The right way of looking at the iPad Pro specifically is not that they have, Apple didn't put the M1, they didn't put a Mac chip in the iPad, they put an iPad chip in the Mac, right? Mm-hmm. So like, that's the, where we were all had it flipped around, we're like, oh, they're gonna do this, this is for sure, because now they have, they're putting you know this this very powerful Mac chip on an, in an iPad. Well, it's, it's actually not that way. Like it's the other way around and people had that, they were getting really kind of bent around the axle about this and maybe that's just not the right kind of lens to view the problem through. It'll be baby steps like you said, right? It might not be in the ideal version that we're all thinking, but I cannot see any reason for them not to bring either a subset of functionality or the entire functionality, just like Swift Playgrounds. You might not build a very complex app like OmniFocus or like Zoom on your iPad. You might do a small set of functionality like what you would do with this pro app, like Final Cut or whatever the case is on your iPad, and then maybe work that into a bigger project somewhere down the road. Mm -hmm. I think another way of looking at this too, I agree with everything you said. Other way of looking at this too, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'll I'll tie it back in, is Apple introduced the Retina display with the iPhone 4, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I think four years later that they redesigned iOS with like thinner fonts and things like that that could only really be appreciated on a retina display. And they did that once all the devices that were being supported by iOS had a retina display, or at least the vast majority of them. Um, And they kind of had to wait for that peak of the install base to have that kind of support. So it might just be that they've introduced the M1 chip now, and then in, you know, three, four years down the line, when M1 is not even close to the most powerful chip in an iPad, but the capabilities of the M1 are now available to the mass of the iPad install base, then they can start introducing those features. Whereas now, most iPads are, basically any iPad sold before the M1 chip came out, you know, isn't going to have that huge jump in, in performance and that kind of more desktop class performance. So they're just kind of waiting. And they've set themselves up for the future, as opposed to saying, we're releasing this and then we're making all the specialized software for it in a few months. Yes, yeah, that's a very good point. We both know that they're not quick to, you know, implement their plans, right? It's usually across several years and small iterations and everyone thinks it goes, it's, you know, it's instantaneous until you look back at like, oh no, it's not instantaneous. Uh, it's taken a long time to do this. Uh, <laughs> so that's a, that's a very good point. It's a very good point. I like your explanation and the measured approach is certainly understandable, but like we're consumers and, and maybe from another aspect, we're like kind of like power users. We're like, oh, we, we want all these features now. We don't want to wait three or four years. Of course. Yeah. What other tablet are you guys going to get, though? Like, seriously, like, who's competing against Apple and tablets that they feel this pressure to to do it? Because it's not Surface, I'll tell you that. I have one, and it's a great PC, but it is not a tablet, even though it has a touchscreen. Yeah, it's a PC first, for sure. It is a PC first. Yeah, and I don't need to talk about Android tablets because they're not even worth mentioning. <laughs> yeah. I did think that what was interesting, the... in. This is just kind of weird, like the translations app, like that, you know, that's now on the iPad as well. And I th- think it's interesting that you can do 
onto my Siri, not, I guess, requests, without having to go to the cloud. I think that's kind of a big benefit. Yes. To me, the Apple Watch is like the biggest pain in the ass when it comes to that. Like, it never works. Like, if you're too far from your phone, it's like, I'm sorry, you're not connected to the internet. Like, why aren't you working? Um, <laughs> sorry, that's just me venting my frustration about my Apple Watch. I don't know if that's a feature that came to the Apple Watch or not, though. I do see, you know, it's for iPad, it's for iPhone. I think it's limited to certain iPhones. I think it's because it needs a certain level of processing power from the neural engine specifically. So okay. I don't know if the Apple Watch could handle that, but it should still help with what you're talking about, though, because rather than having to go from Apple Watch to iPhone to the Internet and then back to the iPhone to the Apple Watch, it just goes Apple Watch, iPhone, back to Apple Watch. So it does kind of cut that in half. So that still is going to be helpful. But you're right. It, doing things like turn down the lights or something like that, which is really handy to do right from your watch. You know, it'd be nice if it was on screen because that demo of them just going through all of those requests, you know, one after the other. I'm like, wow, that is really, really fast. And it, it makes me think about machine learning. But I'll talk about that when we talk about live text, because I think it's more relevant to that. So we can talk about live text whenever you're ready, because I think live text and the image classification is so powerful and so exciting. I think I've said that about everything we've talked about today. I'm like, oh my God, that's so powerful, so exciting. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. I have a lot of favorites, but it really is where, so do you, do you want to, I guess, give us the introduction to it? And, or Yeah. So basically the live text and, and photo analysis and all that's basically that if you, let's say you take a picture of a sign, you can copy and paste the text from that sign. It just pulls it out of the image immediately, mm -hmm. which means that you could search for a restaurant more easily. You could get directions to that place. If you see like a social media post of a certain restaurant, you don't have to go to Yelp or Maps to find it. You can just do it right from the image itself, which is really cool, but it extends to like the breed of a dog. Or you can type into your phone like, oh, uh, I want to see pictures of a lake with a kayak in it. And it will like recognize the objects and, and pull them in for you. Like it is in incredibly powerful. And what's impressive to me is that that machine learning is happening on device, which is amazing. So where I kind of go with the whole machine learning thing. And here's one of my tangents. I'm sorry. I'll come back to it. <laughs> a few years ago, Google, one of the things that impressed me most about Android was when Google announced the same exact feature. But of course, mm -hmm. their machine learning processing happens on their server and then comes back down to the phone. But Apple doesn't want to do it that way for, for privacy reasons and all that kind of stuff. And one thing that I've heard in the context of live edit and kind of uh, commentators post WWDC thoughts is, man, what a cool feature. But Google did that a while ago. And this is true, and it worked really well. I had a Pixel 2 with that feature. It works really well. So I can attest from just using a similar feature. It's very nice to have. But again, their processing is happening not on device. And that's the real innovation of what Apple did here. It's, it's not so much that they did it. They could have done it server-side a long time ago, but they opted to do it on device instead because that's their goal. So I feel like with machine learning, Apple might always be like one or two steps behind, but... It's for that privacy reason. It's so that it is on device. And I think that's a really big deal that they can get that kind of processing directly on the device. I'd rather wait for that because the privacy and keeping things local and not storing every little bit of data about me on a server somewhere is important to me. And so, yes, yeah, years late, but I don't think it was because Apple wasn't trying to innovate. I think it's just because this is how they do machine learning. They just do it differently than Google. I agree with everything that you just said. I don't know if you remember this, but last year in iOS, iPadOS 14, 
Apple introduced the ability to do handwritten notes using Scribble. Mm-hmm. And then with that handwritten notes, those notes were indexable by the operating system. So yeah. like if you wrote down in notes someone's phone number and like call Brian, you could then take that action from your home screen and you know, dial a phone number. It recognizes the, the digits and the pattern of the numbers. And this is like the maybe like the next iteration or the next step of that technology. Like Live Texas, very cool. Like you can search for uh, like what were the examples I've seen where someone is like they type in text that's very, very small on a sheet of paper, like three feet away from their, uh, you know, like not necessarily in the direct line of sight of the camera. And it comes up. I'm like, wow, how does that work? Like, that's really cool. And it's just I mean, it's pretty mind boggling that the machine learning is just doing it on that small of text in images where that's not the primary focus of the camera. I think it's just very cool. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a big deal. Yeah. And I think what's even, maybe not even cooler, but to add on top of that is where you can now search for it. Not so you don't have to be inside photos. You could do it just from Siri or from the finder button or from finder from uh spotlight spotlight. Thank you. So that is very neat. I'm a big fan of that. I'm all about making things easier. Now, I don't know if this necessarily, you know, lays the, not lays the groundwork, continues the groundwork for some type of input device like a pencil coming to the iPhone. I don't know. I, I would say that maybe it gives a stronger case to it, but whether or not that would be, you know, for certain, I have no idea, but I would like to see a pencil on the iPhone. I think that would be a great addition because you could then use all of these things that kind of work together on these different platforms on just another device that you always carry with you. Mm-hmm. There's also a really uh, important, I think, accessibility benefit here as well. Hmm. Okay. So you have a visual impairment. So like I I have a um a friend I used to work with in in Chicago who was blind, like fully blind. And they had an app that they could use in their phone where they could take a picture of something and then it would tell them what it is. Mm -hmm. Now, it's kind of a crude story, but he took a part of something not safe for work as like a joke to see if it could recognize that not safe for work thing. And it responded back and was like, it is this not not safe for work thing that you took a picture of. And then he found out it was actually a person who's like looking at the photo and then sending the response back. And he was mortified, like, oh my God, I just sent a picture. It was his junk. He sent a picture of his junk to this like random person across the internet (laughs) to see how well it worked. And it it worked, but it was a person the other line. But this is like an important thing for him. Like if he's like, hey, like I need to know if I'm holding the right keys in my hand or something like that. He can take a picture of it, send it off and they'll respond back to him. But now you could feasibly do that kind of stuff just on the phone itself. Like that's massive. That's absolutely massive. I think that really, really is going to be an important feature, especially when, so like I've been learning about, I took a little small course on web development as like a precursor to get into my current C-sharp bootcamp. And one of the things they kind of try to lay into you was when you're making a website, put an alt text for everything. So Mm. if there is someone with, you know, uh, visual needs that they can still view the content well, Mm -hmm. that could literally be automated now. Obviously, I think people should still do that on the site as they're making it. It's not hard work and it makes a huge difference for people. But like that kind of thing could just be built in and you could just ask like, hey, Shlomo, what am I looking at right now? And it just tells you like the possibilities here are are really profound, I think, for someone with those needs. You're totally right. Like when you go to Spotlight and I, you know, I just typed in dogs and it it brings back a dozen or actually a dozen, six pictures of dogs from my photos like that's actually kind of cool that it's able to identify that and i think when you even go in the photo it tells you what kind of dog it is it's amazing some of the stuff that they that they think of Mm -hmm. like 
Craig and team, they're all just sitting around a table saying, what do you got? What do you got? Like they're like testing out each other's ideas. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So I, I typed in dogs in Spotlight and then it even showed me a shared link with Watchdogs Legion in the title. That's super interesting. <laughs> they pull up everything. Yeah. So what do you think about, I'm trying to think how they, how they reference it or how they position it. So things that have been shared with you. So as you know, I send you a link, I send you a song, we watch a movie together. There's this kind of for you section. I think that's how they Mm -hmm. probably frame it. And I don't know if like going to music and seeing like of the hundred songs that people have sent me, I'm like huge into music. So I have friends that share me, like they share songs all the time, but now I have like this whole section of songs. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to see this. Like, it seems like it might be a little cluttered and I hope they kind of think about refining that a little bit because it's just to me it's not the uh, most ideal way and i see the same thing appearing like for like news articles and for tv shows like i I just don't maybe i don't want all of that i don't know about you i already have a workflow for that so like if someone sends me an article and they want me to read it i have instapaper i love instapaper and i'll i'll put it in instapaper and i i go back and check instapaper all the time so i kind of already have that um and i I like does it know if I've already viewed it or not? Am I going to just see like a bunch of links that are in iMessage that people sent me? So like where I'm going with this is they already have this feature in Safari. So if you, if someone sends you a link in iMessage and then you go to Safari mm-hmm. and like your favorites and frequents underneath that, yep. there'll be, these are for my message. And sometimes I've already viewed the link or I was the one who sent the link to someone else yeah. and it's showing yes. up there. And I'm like, I don't need to see that. I already knew about it. I'm the one who shared that. If it's just that system across other apps, I don't mm, care. That's not it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I agree. But maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I'm pretty pessimistic on that feature. Yeah. So what is cool is that now when someone shares you know, either a a single photo or several photos with you. There's the gesture for viewing the photos inside of messages. But also, if you go to your photo library, it shows that photo in your photo library and it has a little glyph on the bottom of the photo saying it came from messages. And if you tap into it, you can then tap to the message where that person shared it. It's very cool. It's great, actually. I didn't know about the last part. That is fantastic. Yes, because how many times do I get... Yeah, so how many times does someone send me photos that I forget to save to my library, right? Like it might be a photo that my wife took of my son, but I never, I might forgot to save it. Now it shows in my library and then I get the option to save it if I want to and where the message came from. So that is very, very cool. I like that a lot. I know that you're not a big photo photographer or maybe collector of photos, but I collect photos. No, I'm not. But it, I can recognize that's a cool feature. I I, I think that's, that's nice. Because like, oh, who sent this to me again? That's right. It was so-and-so. Like that's, kind of nice to have tabs on but even just the grouping of the photos is a little like carousel to swipe through yes fantastic that is fantastic like for example i had a friend who moved into a new place recently and he sent a bunch of photos of that place and it's just nice to kind of swipe through those and still see the conversation on either end and it doesn't turn into this like other super long list of scrollable stuff that Yes. Kind of gets in the way at that point. I can just view that content all in one area, just like I would want to anyway. Just one of those. Well, of course it works that way. It's perfect. Yeah. Now, what is great is that you're not taken out of like the context of in the message and you can just view, like mm-hmm. you said, you can view those photos in line without being, I guess, being you know, again, removed from that context, which is really nice. It gives you the ability to stay, not engaged, but stay in the moment, 
right? Or sometimes where yeah. you like, oh, it's like how many times you open your phone to look at something and all of a sudden you've been, you know, at least me, I've been on TikTok for like four, like 40 minutes. Like, oh my God, I, I put this down. I don't want this. Um, so <laughs> I, I like that. I like that a lot. So what is fixed now on iPadOS is Thunderbolt 3, where before from a connectivity perspective, I'm getting way faster speeds on iPadOS with Thunderbolt 3 than, I'm, than I have been getting before. It's actually more in line, more close to the Thunderbolt 3 throughput speeds. Not necessarily like for like, but it is much, much closer than it, than it was. And that is very good because, you know, we talked, how do you deliver Thunderbolt without like with this kind of half-baked promise of what Thunderbolt is? Like it's it just didn't make sense, but they fixed it. Yeah. It's that laying the yeah. groundwork for the future. Yeah, laying the groundwork for the future. They still did not take the aspect ratio on external displays and fix that. I don't know what is, if they're ever going to do that, but that four by three aspect ratio in our, on a display is just, it's, it's infuriating. I, it's just, I don't know. I have no I mean, idea what they're doing. is the ideal way to view all content, whether it's editing video or anything. Yeah. We all view content in four by three. What was the one movie that there's a movie Being that just came out to be clear? <laughs> no, I, yeah. There was a movie that came out last year, or maybe it was at the end of 2019. It was with William Defoe, where the they're you might, yeah, Lighthouse. Isn't it it's like fantastic. in Rhode Island? But it's in four uh, by three. I don't know if it is or not, but it looks it looks very much like it's in like a Lighthouse <laughs> by Rhode Island. Yeah, it's four by three. It works really well for that movie because it's supposed to feel old. <laughs> Your yes. iPad should not feel old. That's a great movie, by the way. Really good. Fucked up, but good. I never seen it, but it looked kind of weird. Who's the other actor? It's not Chris Pine. It's Robert Pattinson. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, the other teen heartthrob. So I never watched it. Like I didn't watch, or I started to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League, like the you know the extended cut, and then it was like yeah. thirty minutes. I'm like, I, I can't watch this. This is ju- it's just too too weird looking. And my wife's like, oh, just yeah. get through it. I'm like, I don't know. What's really funny about that actually is I watched that on my iPad. So I'm like, cool. It fills the whole screen perfectly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I couldn't on TV, do that. It would be annoying. Yeah, it would be super annoying. It would be super annoying. Now, anything else that you want to add about the iPad specifically? I don't know if you are about the iPhone in terms of iPad OS or iOS 15. Yeah, uh, the Maps app. Oh, okay. I haven't actually had the chance to play with Maps that often. It is gorgeous. It looks really nice. Really? I really like the way it looks. And and that's just from using it on my iPad without the fancy 3D stuff that they're doing. But when that video oh, wow. of what the 3D looks like, where you can see like overpasses and stuff and, and the, like each lane in the road, I'm like, this is actually really practical. Wow. It is. I, I'm actually looking at it on my iPad for the first time. I'm looking at the world view. It's so cool. Yeah. It's very cool. Like the whole idea of seeing which lane you're you're supposed to be in, because the blue line will be in the right lane. And it'll also yeah. show you that like, hey, this is going to turn into a left only lane because you can visually see it. That is hmm. way more intuitive than what I've seen in other maps apps, which is like some sort of icon with four lines. If it's a four lane road and then like the two right lanes are a little bit bolder and like you have to interpret that. And for like, I get it. I can use it. It's fine. But in terms of like the simplicity and it just works and kind of Apple's mantra of kind of anyone being able to just use it, like they kind of said in like the whole like epic trials, like we want a toddler to be able to use this. That's immediately, not the Tyler should drive, obviously, but that's immediately 
you know, apparent of what the information is trying to tell you, but it's, it's actually kind of skeuomorphic. It just, it works cleanly with the map and it, it just, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. I'm going on a long rant, but it's just beautiful. So I would say it's, it is beautiful. I would call it easily digestible. Like you can look at it yes. and get a, get a very yes. good sense of, oh, what it's trying to tell you. Like there's not a lot of interpretation. Like, okay, what does this mean? Like, you know, you don't have to worry about that. It's just easily to understand and look at. Yeah. It's like, hey, do you know roads? <laughs> this is the yeah, roads. roads. Yeah. You know, we know, we know there's this paradigm called roads. Do you, are you familiar with this? Like, oh, roads. Oh, damn. This is really cool. It's wow. fast and slick and I love the colors of it. I, when I kind of heard them say they're doing another redesign for Apple Maps, I'm like, didn't they just do this like two years ago? And I don't know. And then I look at it, I'm like, oh, this is so obviously an improvement though that I'm totally down for it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Now, is this available everywhere or is this available only like in certain – I know it's obviously if you have iOS or iPadOS 15. Is it only available in certain cities or is it going to be available everywhere when it comes out? The 3D mapping part of it will be in certain cities. Okay. But the, the design and like the new um, like color palette and all that kind of stuff, that's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean I live in a really small town in a really small state. So if I have it here, I'd imagine it's everywhere. Okay. Now, I do like the fact that they have the six-color band shell, right, visible in the maps. It's an appropriate level of detail, not only because it's your company and you're looking at the, you know, your campus, but it just, it's it's nice. I wonder how they could, like, how could they deliver this value add for everyone at scale? Like, that seems very challenging, but. Yeah, I, it'll be slowly rolled out over time, but, I mean, the world's not going to change that much if they just stay dedicated to it. They'll get it all done in time. Yeah. Very cool. They also have look around there and you can move the little binoculars and get different angles. It doesn't take up the entire screen. Uh, it's actually kind of like a picture in picture frame. That's neat. Very neat. I like it. Yeah. I guess I haven't really drove anywhere that I need maps in the past couple weeks. I should just start asking for directions places. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can move the binocular view, like the street view around, and you can see on the map which direction you're facing. Yes. You can, oh man, you can also, okay, so you have it like where in the top right-hand corner you have like the binocular view where you get the street view, right? Mm-hmm. Scroll your finger around the map itself and you'll actually move that binocular view to in that new location it gets centered on and then it loads up there immediately. That is really slick. It is really slick. What I think when you went to street view or they don't call it street view, I think it's called look around. You almost got taken out of the app. It was actually like kind of opening up a different pane, a different window inside of the app where here it's, it's actually split into like a picture in picture view. It's, it's yeah. actually quite, quite nice. It's very nice. Yeah. I'm actually curious how that works on an iPhone, but an iPad that's slick as hell. That's nice. Something else is kind of really impressive too, actually. This is kind of nuts to me. I'm looking at a elementary school on my map that's like a block for me. I chose this location because there's a few things that I'm like, there's a baseball field there. There's a playground. There's like two buildings like around the school. And it has all of that. It has the baseball diamond featured in the, not the satellite view in like the traditional map view. It has the mm -hmm. baseball diamond. It has the 3D model of the school that is shaped exactly like that school is shaped. They have the basketball courts. They have the cutout for the playground. And they also have a separate cutout for the basketball court next to the playground as like two separate things. 
how did they get this hmm. kind of detail in such a small town like this? Are they analyzing a satellite photo and then interpreting from there? Like, that's just really impressive to me. That's nuts. They're watching you. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> they invented time travel. They did it all in one year via time travel. Tim is right now piloting the uh, little drone saying, where's Holden? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think you're right. I think they take that and it's it's derived from the satellite view and maybe they have some type of mapping algorithm that says for these type of objects, when you see these structures with these type of characteristics, put this type of, so the, sorry, step back. There's four different views. There's explore, driving, transit, and satellite. So they probably start with satellite view and then maybe derive those other views from objects that they find on satellite view. Yeah, it's it's the only way I can see them doing that. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah gosh, even looking at another field that's pretty close to me, they got the baseball diamond, exactly where the baseball diamond is. They have the tennis courts, exactly where the tennis courts are. Like, this is really impressive. This is This is cool. It is super impressive. You are absolutely right. So I think it's just really just good news all around in terms of what maps, how maps is being presented. And I don't think maps was lacking in any kind of substantial way. I think there's all these things are just kind of making it better in terms of overall kind of completeness of the product. Yeah. Now, there are two things that we haven't talked about that I would love to talk about. One is car keys, home keys inside of HomeKit, which I'm super floored about. And the other one is cameras in HomeKit as well. Now, I am all in on HomeKit. I'm all in on home automation. At least I try to be because I, I want to automate as many things as I can. And the ability to unlock my door by proximity, by real proximity, is, I think, a game changer. And I'm, I'm hoping that this comes out. I hope many different... Uh, Smart lock support it, though I think it'll probably be a tough. Be new hardware you have to get in order to support that, or would it work with existing locks? I feel like new hardware would be necessary. Yeah, so I think new hardware would be necessary. That or I guess most locks don't have ultra wideband built in them already, right? That's that's something that's brand new and yeah. it's probably very expensive. And I think there's only a few manufacturers that are putting ultra wideband chips inside their devices. So I think that Apple's probably going to figure a way to not reverse engineer, but a way to communicate ultra wideband proximity to devices that don't have ultra wideband radios in them. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think that's what they would have to do. I don't think the, um, do air tags actually have a U1 chip in them? I actually don't think that they do. I think that was one of the things that was kind of surprising about them is they didn't have U1 chip. So it does. Each air oh, tag no, it does. includes, it does. Yeah. yeah, it does. Like I, I would be wondering, or I'd be curious to know, like, is Apple even going to license this out to hardware manufacturers at this point? It seems like it might be a little bit early, but who knows? I think they'd have to for this, but we'll see. Well, like today, at least it seems that, you know, there's many different keyboard cases for the iPad Pro, and there's really only two or three that offer the smart dock connector. Like Apple doesn't license the technology out to anybody. There's a number of different manufacturers that make smart locks but how are you going to do that at scale and license out that technology or license out access to the hardware and all those things it just seems like it would be very early especially when they want to sell phones that have u1 chips in them i don't know just thinking about that like the ipad the smart dock connector is not really manufacture all these different chips and put them in all these different products exactly yeah so with the chip shortages happening in manufacturing and this stuff is pretty tight right now yeah yeah I'm like, yeah, yeah, like Rain Man. So that is the the last of things that I really love. And it's all like 18 of them that I love a lot. Anything else that you want to add there? We haven't talked about universal control yet. We haven't. 
I have not actually had the opportunity to see it in action other than the demo. And the demo is super impressive. So this is how I understand it. Let me know if my understanding is incorrect. So you can take, you know, your magic keyboard, right? Your Apple magic keyboard, your magic mouse, your magic trackpad, and you can control more like your Mac, your, sorry, more than one Mac, your, you know, your iMac, your uh, MacBook and your iPad all with the single set of peripherals, right? And it, it kind of seamlessly goes in between devices. Now, first of all, is that my is my understanding correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. It seems a lot like the feature that Logitech has called Flow. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. So, like Logitech, no. They I know they, they have, have buttons ex- to, to switch different devices, and you can just yeah. switch to a device with a bit with a button click. If you have a Logitech mouse, about? well, it's it's a little bit different. If you have a Logitech mouse, they and a keyboard. They offer the software that basically you install on two devices and allows you to drag and drop between two different devices that might not even be the same operating system. So it'll work that way. I guess what has you so uh, excited about Universal Control, Holden? So kind of talking about how I'll use my, you know, my desktop for something work or school related and then mm-hmm. just having my iPad aside for notes. I would like to use Sidecar on my iPad more often, but I don't like Sidecar. I don't like viewing the Mac operating system and this tiny little like iPad. I want to look at my iPad stuff on my iPad and it just seems Mm -hmm. super seamless. And the only concern that I had has been alleviated already. And my concern was that I use an external Phillips monitor and my Mac is like tucked away to the side. And I'm like, well, I don't want to, is it going to, play off of my Mac and think that my Mac is over here in this different direction. So I have to like swipe differently because they're not side by side in that way. And like, how do they communicate with each other? How does it know where to pull the mouse from that kind of stuff? And then I found out how that works. And I'm like, oh, it's not going to be a problem at all. It basically guesses. So if you go to drag something and you drag to the left of your screen, it basically just says, oh, we know you're dragging to a new window to mm-hmm. the left of your iPad, so we're or to the left of your Mac. So they'll position the arrangement of your monitors just based on how you move your mouse over. There's no like cloud or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth syncing between them at all to get the mouse necessarily to know where everything is positioned. Obviously, it uses those technologies to sync the information across, but not the position of where everything is. So the fact that I have this monitor that's not made by Apple isn't a factor at all. I think that's really impressive how like it just kind of works like that. It's also a continuation of technologies that already work really seamless, uh, seamlessly. It is working off of handoff and continuity and things that have been ingrained in the Mac or uh, just all Apple OSs now for, for years. I, I, I know it's not built in right now. I can't do it in a, in a beta, but I have like n- no concern that that's going to be a feature that's, I think it's going to be very seamless is my point. I, I have no concern it won't be. Hmm. So do you know if it will work from, do I have to be start on a Mac or will it work with an iPad and I guess maybe two different iPads or do you know that yet? I think it has to start from a Mac, but I don't know. I'm kind of just spitballing there to be honest. So that's great. I think the the challenge there is that the magic mouse sucks, (laughs) plain and simple, right? It's like (laughs) the worst ergonomic mouse in the world and I don't know how anyone uses it. I think it would be really great if it comes to the iPad and you could use, like, if I can just take my magic mouse and then it magically pairs or syncs with my iPad, because often I find myself using my iPad 
And I wish I still had a mouse for kind of more precision controls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I found this article from The Verge. What it does is it uses Wi-Fi direct between the Mac and the iPad. Okay. And and when you do the drag thing, again, like it assumes, okay, you want to drag to the left. So your iPad's probably to the left. And then it knows on the iPad to through Wi-Fi direct, okay, incoming mouse bring it on the right side of the screen because they would naturally come from that direction. Okay. Hmm. I wonder if that would work between a Mac and an Apple TV. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Hmm. Because like you, sometimes you want to watch something on your TV while you're working on your Mac. You can just drag it around. Yeah, yeah. I don't see why not. Why wouldn't it work that way? Yeah, hopefully it does. Another cool thing that we didn't talk about, <laughs> cool thing, um, was the ability to use your Mac as an AirPlay target. Yeah. So I could send music to, like, now that Apple is really, uh, now that they've announced, you know, high-res music, you can now play music from your, you know, your iMac, your Mac Mini, uh, whatever the case is. Mac Mini speakers are horrible. You never want to do that. Your iMac, your MacBook, and it'll sound halfway decent. Yeah. I wonder if this feature would be sought after in the business context. Like, do do business owners want this? And it seems like there's a lot of features this year, you know, with focus modes and being able now you could sign into your device both from a you can have a personal itunes account or apple id and a one associated with a work id it seems like they're making a lot of features that are not geared towards but maybe would be welcomed by business owners or people that have max deployed in the enterprise yeah i think that's a it's a good point i don't i hadn't thought about that i do know that my dad works in it and he tells me that the executives at his, at his company all use ipad pros now with a magic keyboard. Like that's just their go-to device because yeah. you travel a lot and it's easy to travel with that. So it would make total sense that, you know, you have your iPad to carry around with you and then you have an iMac at your office and mm-hmm. you can just seamlessly work between the two. iCloud Drive syncs the files across the two. So you have that that parity across both of those devices. Um, yeah, I think that absolutely would make sense. You just, you just put your iPad in your desk and you can work between them. It just works, right? It just works. It just works. <laughs> It just works. Another uh, another possible show title. Anything else that you want to talk about in terms of iOS, iPadOS, tvOS? I'm trying to think now. I think that covers the most of the things. One thing, the Apple Watch update wasn't huge, but it does have multiple timers now, which I am so happy to see that coming. Finally. Seven years yeah, later. Yeah, exactly. Right? Finally. Yeah. So the one thing I've noticed about the watch where it's... it. It's going to reflect back on my first comment. The UI and the font size seem misplaced. Like the UI size, it seems very small. Like I'm like, why why would you want, like it seems like it's almost, I don't have any type of um, dynamic text turned on or anything like that. And sometimes I look at the notification, I'm like, wow, that is super small. And it makes me think like, are they going to introduce a third size, a larger watch face? Because that would make, (laughs) you know, that would make sense. Let's do good, better, best for watches now because we do that. We do that for everything. But other than that, I, like the the demo of the HomeKit stuff working on the watch was like really great. I haven't got it to work in, in that kind of seamless manner. How many bars that again? I forgot what they did there. So it, it's where the HomeKit is. Oh, it actually did work very quickly at that point. Um, it's where the HomeKit, all the apps, sorry, all the um, accessories are. They're like quick reconnect. Like they, it doesn't take like an hour for them to refresh. You know, the big pain point. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait, let me see your shirt. It says deserted island. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I have something very oh, similar yeah. to that. Ripping Animal Crossing. Got to rip Animal Crossing. Rip Animal Crossing. So that's the one thing. It looks like it's fixed. Like it took maybe about 10 or 15 seconds and I now have all of my different accessories kind of lit up on here. Yeah, that is one thing about Apple Watch is I think, I think, I forgot. I think, um, who's the head of um, Apple Watch software? I forgot his name. Kevin, Kevin Johnson, Kevin, Kevin something. Yeah, something, yeah, Kevin something. He was saying that everything in the Apple Watch needs to be done within two seconds. I'm like, that's fair because you need to use it quickly. Otherwise it defeats the purpose. And HomeKit is the only thing that I would really love to do in my Apple Watch, but it's just not worth it because it takes too long for everything to connect. In fact, I hope they bring that kind of quick activation to every device because I feel like HomeKit's kind of slowed down for me. Even on my phone. Mm, Kevin Lynch. So I would Sorry. It everywhere. Kevin Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. He used to work at uh, Adobe. He headed uh, Flash development. And now it's funny he's at Apple. Yeah, that's super funny. Or Macromedia. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Macromedia. That's right. I think that the HomeKit stuff on Apple Watch just seems like it's not like it seems like Apple themselves don't know what their like what their what their strategy is on Apple Watch for HomeKit. Like I would think that this year we might see some form of like precision location come to the watch. So when I say turn on the lights in here, or when I walk into a room, if the lights aren't on, the lights automatically go on in that room if they're not, if not already like, and I just yeah. don't see that type of like cohesiveness with the Apple watch. Cause many times, I don't know about you, but when I'm at home, I might not have my phone in my pocket. Like I normally do throughout the day. I might just have my watch on me. And that's the thing. Like I want to turn on my, I want to turn on my lights in the room and I have to it's just, it's not easy, in uh, my opinion. I did yeah, want to tell you one thing. My both be the U1 chip and integrating U1 chips into everything. So U1 chips and, you know, light bulbs, all that stuff. Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, I, I cut you off. I did want to tell you two things that I did. I hooked up, I have two regular size HomePods and I hooked them up to my Apple TV and use them in a stereo mode. They sound fantastic. Like, I want to get rid of my Sonos now because they, it doesn't sound as good. It just, it sounds that fantastic. When you have the two HomePods as a uh, paired with your Apple TV, it sounds great. That, that's the first thing. I don't know if, if you, uh, I know you have an Apple TV and I know you have a HomePod, but if you ever have the chance, if you pair the HomePod in the same room, you could like put music out to it and it sounds great. Uh, that's a, that's something I was just trying. And it's great because it will support Dolby Atmos. Now on the regular HomePods, the new HomePod minis will support Dolby Atmos, I think sometime later this year. So that's really great. The second thing was I bought one of those. It's, um, well, the second thing I, I can't tell you, I have to show it to you. It's not really, it wouldn't make sense that I don't have it with me. It's basically a, a little sleeve for the Apple TV remote. I don't know why I'm holding my iPhone in my hand. It's a sleeve for the Apple TV remote. And if you wanted to, you could put a location beacon or an air tag inside of the sleeve. So you always find your remote. It's kind of hard for me to describe to you. Um, no, yeah, but that's, it's, that sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because I always lose my Apple remote always. And uh, since the new one doesn't have the U1 chip in it and you can't do that kind of location or precision tracking, uh, it's a way of at least figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Holden, that you want to add or want to talk about? I think that it's all the big features of uh, iOS 15. I think a lot of people are saying this is a lackluster update, but I disagree. I think that um, I think this is I totally a disagree. really solid update. I yeah. think this kind of continues that idea of all the devices are integrated. And I, I think that what the big deal here is that all these features are basically available on every single platform. 
seamlessly mm-hmm. and cohesively. And that's a really big deal. I mean, this is why we like Apple products, why we are in this ecosystem in the first place. And iOS 15, I think, has lived up to that more than any other iOS update I can think of. If you think about, I mean, outside of maybe continuity and handoff, but if you think about universal control, seamless across iPad and Macs, you think about focus being seamless across all Apple you know, devices, the integration of you know, FaceTiming across, you know, your iPad, but then syncing it to content you're watching on your Apple TV. It's like, this is kind of like what we have invested in this platform for is these exact yeah. kind of features. And I think that iOS 15, uh, Monterey and iPad OS 15 all play into that in a much bigger way than usual. So I think these, these are really solid updates. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that the, I think people who have this dislike or they, they're maybe not won over by the, what came out at WWDC just there's context missing for them, right? It's, it, the updates are not contextualized in a way that might be meaningful to them. And you, it's very hard to separate the signal from the noise. So like we just talked through, like there's many different features that are useful that can be useful to any, you know, a broad number of people, just depending on, you know, who you are and what device you have with you because they're available on every device. Like you pointed out, you know, you can take advantage of all these features or take advantage of these features on many different devices and they all kind of work the same way, no matter what device you have, which is great. And, you know, I've never noticed this before. You you mentioned maps. Can you use your iPad in CarPlay? I, I don't know. I, I have CarPlay, but I've never actually tried to do this. Yeah. I never tried to do it either. I have a Wi-Fi only iPad, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. But yeah, if you have a cellular iPad, why not? Like, oh, I need to charge my iPad. My iPhone's fine on battery. My iPad's not. I want to charge it while I'm driving. Yeah. You would want the same kind. And I can't imagine that it's really that taxing to have CarPlay on an iPad in terms of like storing the CarPlay assets. It's using probably the same logic that's on the iPhone already for maps and music and all that. It's just changing the layout and the interface for it. So I can't imagine it actually takes that much space to hold all that. So yeah, why not? Hmm. I will have to try that because I just, yeah. I never have. So Holden, other than that, since we're going to wrap up, where can everyone find you at? I, I did think of one thing that's really important. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Safari. And Oh, yes, you're right. Safari tab groups is, I hate it. Oh, you do. Okay. I'm, I'm curious. Oh, why? I, no, no, no. I'll let you, fi- I'll let you finish. I don't mean to, to, to rain on your parade. Go ahead. No. So yeah. So I'll, I'm the kind of person who I'll be looking into something and I have one window with just a bajillion tabs open and then I will make another window because I want to focus on something else, but I don't want to use the other window I have that has so many tabs on it. And now I can basically categorize tabs. I'm so excited about that. And I've loved it on my iPad. It's actually kind of mitigated some of my use for bookmarks because I'll have like right now I have, if I go to my Safari on my iPad, I have a tab group for, for video games, for documentation, for, for like, you know, unity or uh, C uh, for visual studio, C sharp stuff. And then I have the Apple tech, you know, like section broken down. And I just kind of keep certain sites that I use all the time, opened up in those areas all the time, always. And it's kind of nice to kind of go back to them. It's like having a little workspace 
in Safari, like laid out. It's just, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I'm curious why you're not a fan. So on the iPhone, so I guess my first gripe is that on the iPad, every time I close my tab groups, the same ones reopen on my iPad. And it just drives me nuts because I'm like, why are you keep reopening? I close these tabs specifically. So that drives <laughs> me nuts. On the iPhone, I think it's hard to navigate the tab groups when you have your phone in landscape mode. So I often, if I'm v- using my phone to browse the internet for any like kind of meaningful amount of time, like more than a couple minutes, I turn my phone into landscape mode. That's just how I use it. The problem is that when I'm like trying to go from tab from tab to tab, it just maybe because I have so many tabs open, I guess that could be the problem. Like it's just hard to like swipe and find the right tab. Like I'll click on the X or I'll click near the X and I and I actually end up hitting it and I'll close the tab. I'm like, son of a gun, I didn't want to do that. You know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. So I maybe hate's a strong word, just like I said, I like everything that we've talked about. Um, it's probably too far at the end of the spectrum. I just I don't use it how you do, and so maybe I'm I'm probably uh, have to rethink my workflows for Safari. But it, I mean, it, in ideally speaking, it does sound nice. It just I haven't found the right way to kind of put it into practice. I haven't used it landscape on an iPhone before, um, but when let me just try something here. Yeah, so it'll kind of show on the bottom. It will show you the tab group you're in. So the the icon at the very far right hand side of the nav bar is that the tab group you're talking about? The the two On the bottom, uh, rectangles it might say like if you start to scroll it might show up, or did you say okay. it might show up in the bottom? It'll say like for me it says video games on the bottom right now and then done and plus button, but it might have arrows side to side for you instead because I think it's a slightly different view. Yeah. So so at the bottom like where the the navigation bar is. I see the navigation bar. I have the, the ellipsis, right? The you know the contextual menu, and then the uh, I think it's what would be the sh- the share screen, right? The two two rectangles. Now, if I swipe to left to right, I see all the different tabs that I have open. I have not organized these okay. tabs into tab groups, but it just I can swipe from left to right and keep going oh, from these okay. tabs. The same way, like if you want to swipe an app at the very bottom, you can do that too. Yeah, just like. So because I have multiple tab groups, I can see the name of the tab group I'm in on the bottom. And if I tap on that, I can just jump to another tab group immediately. Oh, when I'm okay. in slide overview, when it kind of starts to look more like it does on an iPhone, I've noticed that. So I wasn't sure if if that was the case um, for you as well. Um, but I mean, it does seem like you can still use it exactly the same way as you did before, just by using the – because there's like basically like a default window essentially or a default tab group that works exactly like a normal Safari window does. And then you can create different tab groups outside of that hmm. i'll have the to only thing some more. i don't like about the new safari is the ellipses to access all the buttons i get that it makes the top cleaner but i do like accessing reader view i use that a lot and now there's like an extra step to get to reader view that i didn't have to worry mm. about before outside of that i really like this rendition of safari so you know what you can do to get the reader view very easily so instead of uh, what I think you're doing is you're hitting this button and then going to reader view. Yep. If you actually just hold down on the ellipsis. Uh, yep, it does. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. That's now Safari is the perfect browser. Now now it's the perfect browser. Well, now we're almost perfect. there because they, they support these add-ons now or these extensions, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's We're one step closer to kicking Chrome out the door. I know you don't use Chrome that often, but I have to use Chrome. <laughs> Only for this. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that should work in Safari now. So you might want to check that next time because I'm told that it does work. Cool. Yeah, I'll do that. Anything else, Holden, that you want to add? I think that covers it now. Now that we've talked about the glorious tab groups, 
I mean, we could talk about iCloud Plus as well, very briefly. Are you excited for that? So I did sign up for it, and it is working. Though I've had some trouble with getting, you know, I I pay for one blocker. I don't know if you know what that is. It's an app that they have on the App Store where it basically blocks ads and a number of different kind of undesirables within Safari. I had some conflicts with it working, so I don't know if I'd be able to articulate kind of the benefits of it. But if, if you know a lot about it, I'm more than happy to, you know, talk. I don't know too much about it, but I think that the nice one for me is the um, having a VPN built in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not, really I know cheap. it's not. It's, it's, it's not, not exactly actually a VPN. A VPN. Yeah. It, it works very similarly. You couldn't do things like switching regions and things like that and saying, I'm actually browsing from Russia. You couldn't do that, but it anonymizes your traffic, which is, I think, a big reason to get a VPN. So it doesn't cut out VPN services like NordVPN. If you still want to be able to like watch Netflix from the UK, you know, you mm-hmm. still need Nord for that. But I don't really care about that. I just like I just like the the privacy and the security, and this is why I get Apple products, as I like that. That security, it, because that's also going to interfere with tracking and things like that um, and how these websites track you. So it's just it's huge. It's a big deal. It is huge. What is also, I think, included in iCloud Plus, uh, which I might have actually mentioned, is that you now get the ability to record unlimited cameras. Yeah. Where before you had f- a five camera limit in iCloud, sorry, in HomeKit, and now you have unlimited cameras. Which is, I think, really great. The the thing where maybe it's not clear. So should iCloud Plus be included for people that already pay for, you know, Apple or um, what's it called? Apple the one. This, yeah, Apple One. So they said that it's built in. Yeah, they said it's built into your iCloud subscription already, and I feel like okay. because that's already kind of bundled into Apple One. It is. Okay. I felt like I had to pay the 99 cents for it. We weren't exactly clear about that because I don't view it as like subscribing to iCloud. I view it as yeah. buying storage. So I, I I think that it's just included when you buy storage. And that, that is now okay. just called iCloud Plus, I think. Okay. If it's not included in Apple One Premiere, that's strange to me. Yeah. I mean, it's only a dollar, but it's not the point. It's yeah. just an extra dollar I have to give them, right? Like, I don't want to do that. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's why it's got to be included in Apple One Premiere. Apple One Premiere is going to be where all the services go to. Um, so I, I'd imagine it would be included in that as well. But I don't know. Yeah, We'll probably find out well, I guess in we'll, September officially. But I, exactly. think it, I think it is. I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is. I hope so. Because I don't want to give them any more money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> especially, yes. I, I don't want to give them any more money. Holden, where can everyone find you at? I am at Twitter, uh, at Holden Depardo. Um, I'm also on a video game podcast called Respawn Aim Fire, which is on Twitter at Respawn Aim Fire. Awesome. Holden, thank you very much for joining me. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. We will talk to you in the next one. Holden, have a great night. You too.